you get your candy cane? <laughs> Hallelujah. That's a beautiful story, isn't it? Those kids did awesome, didn't they? Yeah. Woo! I just, I just love hearing kids sing, and man, it's powerful. Turn with me, if you would, really quick to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7 quickly this morning. I won't keep you too long. There's a lot of family here today, and some are out of town. While you're turning there, uh, I'd like to just stop and take a moment and pray for our brother Ernie. Um, it's taking another turn on the wild roller coaster that he's been on. And, and uh, so, Father, we just lift our brother Ernie up to you. Father, we speak life into every fiber of his being. Father, you tell us to pray that your kingdom would come, and it would come here on earth, God. So, Father, we ask that your kingdom would invade his hospital room. You would invade every part of his body, every muscle, tissue, sinew, lungs, all. You know how he works because you created him, Father. Yeah. And we ask, God, that right now, in the name of Jesus, you would come oh, and cancel the plans of the enemy. Father, we choose and we speak life and we speak peace. We speak wholeness. We speak the whole gospel, God, in the name of Jesus over our brother Ernie. And Father, I know that there's others in this room who have family members that are struggling in some way, shape, or form. And Father, we choose and we speak life into that as well, God. Oh, Father, you came not only to save us from our sins, but to set us free from the bondage of sickness. So Father, we speak that healing and that freedom in Jesus' name right now. Amen. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> just kind of a little context here. The book of Isaiah mentions uh, the coming of the Messiah directly or indirectly something like 25 times. It's the only book in the Bible that has reference to his coming that many times, okay? And when we read in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, this is a classical verse we hear a lot of times. Uh, we hear spoken or shared or preached on this time of year. I'm not going to preach on this as much as I just want to share this for a moment. It says, for, us, to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now remember, Isaiah is prophesying this way before Jesus was even on the planet, okay? Wait, so this, he's prophesying this is to come. And he says, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and with righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is a prophecy of the Messiah that was to come. But, but this goes way beyond that moment. It's talking about the second coming of Jesus coming back and his rule and reign coming with him. And he's coming here to earth again for us. We know in the beginning when Jesus stepped foot on the earth, he was born, he came, he put his foot on earth, that he began, he began that rule and reign. That the kingdom of God had burst forth and put foot on this planet to save and to redeem and to get everything in order for his second coming. Amen? That's basic 
basic theology. But we live in this incredible tension that John Wimber called the now and the not yet. We live in that tension of the now that we're in and the not yet where his rule and reign will really come and he will be established on his throne. And what tension? It's incredible the tension that we live in at this moment in time. I don't know if ever before in history we've seen, we've seen this much colliding at one moment in time. Maybe, but at least in our time, lifetime. This seems pretty incredible. But I'm telling you, this prophecy is true. Jesus is coming. Amen. He's coming. And he's going to rule and reign. And he's, the government will be upon his shoulder. He will take charge and take over everything. And he will set everything straight. I can put my hope in that. We had been talking about just the power of the gospel and the greatness of the gospel. And, and today I want to kind of take a different little, little side trip, if I can, for a moment. We uh, have this home group, of some of several home groups here in our, in our fellowship, and it's where we're going through The Chosen. We're starting with Series 1, Episode 1, and we're going all the way through Season 1. And it's been fun going through each episode and dialoguing through it and talking about it. But something really came out to me that I thought was really appropriate for today. And I want to start by saying this, that every follower of Jesus has a not-so-great-before-the-cross experience, right? Every one of us, before we came to Jesus, it was not so great. How many are with me on this? Oh, good, good. <clears throat> I just want to make sure I'm not, you know, just preaching to myself here, but, <clears throat> but think, of, think of this for a moment, in, 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 in the series The Chosen, in the season one, we're introduced to Peter, which you open up the gospel, this is all biblical, we are introduced to Peter. In the, before his cross moment, before he came to Jesus, before Jesus chose him, he was a brass, crass fisherman, big mouth, braggart, rough, tough, tumbling kind of guy. And then we have Nicodemus, he was this pious, fancy pants kind of religious leader guy. That's all he knew, but that's who he was. That was his story. And then we have Matthew. What a character. In the movie, they really, they really, <laughs> they really show a side of Peter I'd never quite read before, but he was a thieving, indifferent to suffering tax collector. He didn't care. He just wanted the money. And I think he pocketed quite a bit myself. That's my thinking. But then we have Mary Magdalene. Oh, my goodness. We don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene. There's just not a lot of historical stuff written about her, but we do know this. She was demon-possessed, and Jesus came into her life. He chose her. If anything, probably one of the first people that he chose, and in that moment, he delivered seven demons, just took them right out of her, just bam, set her free. First deliverance we see recorded, at least in that context. Seven, not one, not two, it's bad enough being oppressed by some kind of demonic entity or force. I'm not getting all woo-woo spiritual on you here, but it's true. It's, but to imagine seven demonic, oh, and she's delivered from that. But what's interesting is we have this demon-possessed woman seemingly so insignificant that her before-the-cross story isn't even recorded. So we're left to surmise what it might have been like. And there's a lot, if you studied anything about Mary Magdalene, you'll see that there was a lot of twists and turns in her history. 
and was motivated <clears throat> by political people within the church like 900 years later. She was portrayed as something that she wasn't, and that's a whole other side trail. But really, we don't have a whole lot of real history about her. <clears throat> but, but I want to say, where's my notes at here? I'm getting sidetracked. <clears throat> and yet, God calls us in the before. God calls us before we weren't even aware that we were simply broken versions of who God was calling us to be. Isn't that interesting? God calls people before his transformative work begins in their lives. God calls us before that. God's not calling perfect, polished people that wouldn't even work right. God calls us, he redeems us, and then he begins to clean house and to mold us and shape us into the image of who he wants us to be and look like his son. Amen? <clears throat> you know, God sees past the before in our lives, and he looks forward to and sees what he proposed and planned for our future. I call that faith pictures. When the angel of the Lord came to Gideon, what did he say? Gideon, you're just a, you're the least of your tribe. You're no good. That was Gideon's word, not the angel of the Lord's word. He said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like looking around. Are you talking to me or? You're talking to Bob. You're not talking to me. But somehow Gideon had it in his mind that he was disqualified. But God saw past that. He saw to what he proposed and planned for Gideon's future. And he called it forth. He, God, sees past the before to those he loves enough to call his own. Take Israel, for example. Turn with me really quick to Isaiah 43, verse 1. <clears throat> Absolutely love this scripture. But now this is what the Lord, your creator, says, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. Everyone say that. Do not fear. I have redeemed you from captivity. That's out of the Amplified. I have called you by name. You are mine. He's calling Israel out. He's saying, I'm calling you out of captivity. Do not fear. I'm the one doing this, and I have called you by name because you are mine. You are my chosen ones. Isaiah prophesied over God's people. He said, fear not, I have redeemed you. But guys, this was during a time of obedience. It was not a time of them doing really good. They were really in a lot of rebellion. Read chapter 43 all the way through. They were really in a funky, funky place. It was a time filled with idol worship and their hearts were wandering and, and, and there was this intense callousness to sin, not to mention the painful consequences of the choices that they were experiencing and the result of those choices. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. This was spoken long before, long before their repentance. He continues in verse 1. He says, I have called you by name. You are mine. Can you hear that? Are you chosen? Did you hear call, God call your name? God called every one of us for God so loved the whole entire world. <clears throat> this isn't an exclusive club. 
God has called everyone, but are you hearing his calling? Have you heard his calling? Do you know that you are one of his chosen ones? When Isaiah spoke these words, Israel was rebelling against all God had done for them and all that God wanted to do. How many of us have wandered down that path, kicking against, rebelling, running away from everything that God was calling us to do? I remember hearing that. I remember running the total opposite way when God was calling my heart, knocking on my heart, going to camp as a kid, church camp and youth camp, and, and hearing that God was knocking on my heart, and I'm going, ah, I'd rather go play and goof off and ride motorcycles with my buddies. And, and then one day I had this encounter with God that radically altered my life. When he came up and he put hands on me and he said, you are chosen. When, when Israel was rebelling and, and running away from God and everything that God had done for them, they could care less. And everything that God wanted to do, they had no heart to follow. But what's interesting is God didn't turn away from them. Remember, this is in their before God moment. God showed them mercy. He spoke his love over his chosen people. He's speaking through the prophet Isaiah, his love for his people, claiming that that they are his own. And this was even before they had agreed to be his. Isn't that amazing? God calls everyone. You're working with people that God is calling, friends. You have circles of influence. And, and, and in that circle of influence, if you're walking in the way, if you're representing Jesus, it, it, you come to this moment where all of a sudden, ah, you get this feeling, this word of knowledge, whatever it looks like for you, however God speaks to you about that person who God is calling. And maybe they too are kind of like, you know, I just, I can't hear it right now. I don't want to. Maybe God wants you to speak that word that opens up the channel. You become the conduit that God speaks to, to speak to their hearts. And they, at that moment, come into the presence of Jesus and have their encounter with him. <clears throat> God speaks over you and I, what is true. His plan of redemption is marching on. Nothing will stop God's plan of redemption. God will always be moving forward. And I'm gonna tell you something, our choices, things that we've done, the things that we're doing before Jesus, before the cross, that doesn't derail his plans. <clears throat> Not at all. Not even in the least bit. When we look up in the mirror, we get up in the morning or we're having a bad day at Black Rock and we look into the mirror, who we see doesn't determine what, what or who will be by God's hand. It doesn't. <clears throat> and so our brokenness doesn't alter his plans either. How many of you were broken before you came to God? How many of you are still broken, but God's putting you back together? <laughs> yeah, I just use a little WD-40 and it works good, but... <laughs> circumstances or other people, even our own choices does not determine our value. Our value is, is really assigned to us by the one who we belong to. God assigns us value. And he valued us enough that he sent his son. When the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field saying, fear not, they're bringing us good news of a savior. He's the Messiah Jesus, uh, 
that placed tremendous value on us, that he valued enough to let his son die for humanity. As they say, priceless. You can't even put a price tag on that. So here's why you and I do not have to fear. When it says fear not, this is why. Fear not. You're not who you're going to be. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you translate that word workmanship, it means poema. Poema means poetry. We are his poetry. I love that. Created in Christ for good works, works which God prepared after? No, beforehand that we should walk in them. When the stars were sent spinning by the Father and he loaded the galaxies with however he created everything, in that moment, he had a plan for you and I. A very poetic plan that he created us to walk and talk and look like in this life. And if you're chosen and you heard that call, you should be moving towards that. You should be bearing that fruit. Amen? Fear not, God can redeem your choices and use them for good. Fear not, God can heal your heart, your body, and your relationships. There are people in here, I know I'm confident, there are people in here that have been struggling with relationships for a long time. God can heal those. Give them to him. We have this tendency of, we, we come to Christ, we give Jesus our problems because he says, give me all your burdens, we give them to him. And then for some funky reason, and wonky, I don't know, we, go, we start taking them back. And God goes, give them back. You gave them to me. They're mine. Let me take care of this stuff. And we wrestle with him. Let it go. Let God heal your heart, your body, and your relationships. Fear not. You were made for more than what you've experienced so far. Guys, this is just the beginning. For so- Every day is new. Every day is a new beginning. The choice is yours. Are you going to walk in his ways and, and let God use you in power? And Oh, my goodness, the choice is yours. It's time to stand tall, to arise and shine. We're moving into a season that the world will tell us, oh, this is terrible. I'm telling you, man, God has a plan. And I'm confident that God's, God's got this. I've read the end of the book, by the way, he wins. <clears throat> it works out. <clears throat> but God has chosen us for such a time as this to be part of that movement. And those of you that know me well enough to know that I, 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 I want to be part of a movement. I don't want to be a church that's just stagnant. I want to be moving however God wants us to move forward. So, this, fear not, this is only the beginning. And yes, every follower of Jesus has a not-so-great-before-the-cross life. But what about life after the cross? You've heard me preach, you know, my journey up to the cross. I had this journey to the cross And I thought, and I was taught, my theology at that time was, our journey is to the cross. Okay, I'm saved. Now I get to sit here and wait for the Jesus bus to come. And if you were like me, I'm sitting there, I'm getting bored to death. There's got to be more to this than just sitting here on the, the Jesus bench waiting for his bus to come and take me home. Then I realized that there is a life after the cross, The Holy Spirit filled me and energized me with this desire to want to do His good works. And I began this journey of wanting to just do what He wanted me to do. And that is my wife and I's story. 
25 years old, 25 years, I turned 25, full-time ministry, pastoring a mission house. Was I crazy or what? But God used that. That That's just our story. I'm not saying that's a prerequisite for you. That's just our story. But we followed God, and we realized there was so much more beyond the cross. So we do have a life after the cross. Every follower of Jesus who comes up to the cross, you must understand, the power is at the cross, yes, but it empowers us to walk and to live after the cross. An incredible, exciting lifestyle. And look what it did to Peter. When Peter had his God encounter, when Jesus began to walk with, or Peter began to walk with Jesus, and he had this moment, look at what happens to Peter. We read, Peter, that rowdy fisherman, what happened to Peter? He quit, went fishing, paddled off to some unknown island. No, he became the bedrock preacher of the early church. That's what happened to Peter. He was a healer of the sick and the lame, and he was fearless unto death. In fact, you read historically, he definitely died a martyr's death. That's how passionate he was to follow Christ. Oh, my goodness. Then you have Nicodemus. That impersonal religion, uh, the leader of the impersonal religion became personal friends with Jesus. We read where Nicodemus would come in the middle of the night, (laughs) slide in the back door, I don't know, under the gate, do the low crawl over to his house. I don't know how he did it. (laughs) But he would meet, what would you say? Nick at night. Hey, Nick at night. Woo! Good job, Cyril. Oh, my goodness. So here's Nick at night. Sneaking over to Jesus' house, whatever Jesus was at. And, and he, would, he would have this exchange with Jesus. Dialoguing, walking and talking, going. He, he had such a significant impact, Jesus did, on Nicodemus' life that Nicodemus helped get Jesus off the cross. He helped bury Jesus. He paid for the burial spices. That's quite a transformation. I think somewhere in the journey, he came to this point of finally understanding, and he was changed by the scriptures that he had devoted his life to studying because he had spent time in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, that balance of spirit and truth, it all made sense. Can you imagine that moment? We have Matthew, the tax man, the traitor, who became a member of the Elite 12, and he was author of the first gospel in the New Testament. We know that, the book of Matthew. What a transformation. That's powerful. And then, what about the woman? What about Mary Magdalene? This woman who seemingly seemed too insignificant to even have her before the story of the cross recorded, but listen how precious she was. She was so incredibly precious to Jesus that she became the first person that he, Jesus, appeared to as he rose from the dead was Mary Magdalene. She was the first person to hear his tender voice. And she was the first person to witness the culmination of all that he claimed to do and to be. Mary Magdalene. The woman who seemed so insignificant, but God knew her in her before. And God definitely had plans for her in the after. She was the first one that got to run and tell the boys. I love that. Mary Magdalene. 
There are many people who feel like their life is so insignificant. They're living a life of insignificance where they just, not me, I just can't. I'm telling you, you're the one that God's calling now. He has chosen you for such a time as this. Can you imagine Mary's moment when Jesus chose her? When he called her by name? Let's see what that looks like. Tony? I love you, Tony. You got a lot going on today, bro. Okay, stop it for just a second. Pause if you can, Tony. Let me give him a little context here. In the movie, we just see that season one, episode one, Mary's struggling. She, does, she's not even, she doesn't go by the name Mary. She's hidden her name. She just wants to be off the planet, out of sight. Her, it's not even her name. She's called by a different name. And she's struggling. She's at a point where she's being tormented by the demons, which Jesus did deliver her from cast them out of her. She's being tormented, and what she does is she's trying to drink away her, her issues or problems. Is that biblically what happened? I don't know, but watch what happens in this encounter. You gotta watch the impact of this. Okay, Tony, we got sound for that. John 15, 16 says, 
You didn't choose me, but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world and to bear fruit. How many of you remember that encounter where Jesus came up and he chose you? What a radical moment. I have Kleenex up here, Max, if you need it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a powerful, powerful moment. Guys, I, I just want to close with saying that God has chosen you for such a time as this, and he wants to work through you because he wants to touch other people's lives. The words that you speak, the words that you share, the encounters that you have, man, remember the gospel should be central to all that we do. The gospel is always relevant. It is always transformative. And it should always be central to everything that we do. Man, we owe our lives to Jesus. I feel that way. And to think that he would love me enough to give his son for me absolutely blows my mind. But I just want to remind you, in this season, there's a lot of hurting people. And God is asking you, it's time to shine. It's time to get out there. It's time to roll up your sleeves. It's time to go out into the harvest and start loving on people and compelling them to come to him. Because God is calling them because he has chosen them as well as you. Amen? Let's stand. I just want to say, if, if you do not know Jesus, you have not felt his call. You don't feel as if you felt that chosen moment, whatever that looks like. I would really like to pray with you. And, and if that's you, I, I'm not going to dog on you, but if that's you, I'd love for you to come up when we're done, and I'd love to pray with you, because I want to introduce you to the one that wants to choose you. Amen? And those of you that, you know, in, in that verse I just read, he goes on to talk about, he chose us so that our life would, be, would bear fruit. He, this came after the discourse of the vine and the branches and all that, and, Man, is your life, let me ask you, is your life producing the fruit that you want? Is your life producing fruit that people want to partake of? Are you just producing lemons? I'm not trying to meddle, but I, I will for a moment. Because Jesus called us to bear good fruit. And if we're in the vine, if we're in him, if we're seeking his presence, then we will be producing his fruit. People will want to be around us. They'll want to partake of whatever it is. They, they, they can't see it, but they know there's something in us that they want, and that's Jesus. So I just want to say this. If that's you if, you, if you want your life to be producing better fruit, I just want to call you forward, and we as a team want to pray over you. And uh, if, if you're rocking it, amen, God bless you. So if that's you, if, if you want your life to be more productive in terms of good, healthy fruit. When people around you, they're not going, oh man, I can't stand to be around that person. They call themselves a Christian. That's not good fruit, my friend. But if you're that kind of person that people go, I really like being around that person.
that's you, that's, that's awesome. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this incredible moment. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the children singing. Oh, how awesome, Father. I know that you love little children, God, and you want us to be like those. Oh, man. So, Father, we just thank you for you choosing us for such a time as this. Father, that you chose us before time began, that you chose us while we were still doing the wild and wonky stuff that we were doing, is so mind-blowing, God. But you loved us enough to call us out of that into your marvelous light. So, Father, I just pray, God, that you would continue to draw us closer to you and that we would answer the call. Ah, thank you, God. And, Father, I just pray that all of us would begin to bear the fruit of you in your life, God. Wow. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, Thursday, uh, Friday night, we have uh, Christmas Eve service here, 6 to 7. It's going to be worship and singing. It's also going to be a time of communion, too. So it's going to be an awesome moment. So God bless you guys. Have a great and wonderful day. No chairs. You can leave the chairs alone today.